You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. Snow, strong wind and Arctic air could lead to more weather and travel warnings later this week. But we start with the damage done by last night's snowstorm. Thousands of crashes, ferry delays and closures quickly followed. Aaron MacArthur has more on the chaos which lasted through this morning's commute. Going nowhere fast. The snow hit hard Sunday night right after supper and it was nasty. Spinning tires, some people forced to retreat down hills the wrong way. The weather was so bad, so fast, road crews couldn't keep up. Highway 1 up the cut was cut off. Cars abandoned where they stopped. The Lionsgate Bridge closed, and the port man, not much better. All over BC, the situation was the same. The worst of the weather rolled through the Okanagan Sunday afternoon. By the evening, heavy blowing snow causing chaos on the highways over the mountains into the Fraser Valley. Sunday night, the RCMP forced to close the road between Hope and Chilliwack. Monday morning didn't bring any improvement. The snow gave way to cold, slippery roads. One truck driver managed to get his rig wedged underneath an overpass. The commute was ugly. My dispatch said bring it back. It's not safe, right? Down trees adding to the misery. Cutting down trees. Trying to keep everybody moving, you know? Keep it safe. Keep it safe. Road crews had all hands on deck trying to get people moving. It wasn't enough. Unfortunately, with the drop in the temperatures, uh, you know, the, things are constantly changing out there and the contractors are doing their best to, to try and uh, alleviate those slippery sections as best as possible. The snow isn't done yet. Forecasters still calling for more this week. The cold will now be the biggest challenge for British Columbians, well below freezing from Vancouver to the Alberta border. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Catherine Urquhart is live in Surrey for us tonight. Catherine, there were the usual complaints about plowing on the main roads, but the side streets are really dicey too. They haven't even been touched yet. That's right, Chris. And if you're heading out tonight, extreme caution is advised. Side streets like the one here behind me in Surrey are now sheets of ice. Motorists spun out and lost control as side streets froze over in Surrey's Clayton Heights neighborhood. Well, there was a big lineup. Another bus got stuck up the hill there, so I tried to turn around and started sliding back here. Now we're stuck here, so I don't think I've ever seen it this bad the entire time I've lived here. The road's like this, just a complete sheet of ice. Everything's iced up. There's inches of ice on the ground. It's everything slippery. And Countless motorists slid off streets and into ditches. There was chaos on many secondary routes as Surrey's crews focused on arterial roadways. Uh, 39 trucks have been running around the clock. No brining, but all of our salt trucks, uh, plows and salt spreaders are out. In Langley, sheets of ice covered many routes. Vancouver City crews closed some streets considered dangerous and impassable. Side streets, uh, residential streets don't actually fit in within our priority routes. Uh, we do want to get to them when priority routes are well taken care of. On the North Shore, also lots of snow and ice. Motorists advised to stay home if possible. It was a stressful day for those behind the wheel. 
But for many kids across the region, it was the snow day they'd been hoping for. Was that fun? Yeah. What do you think of the snow? Great! Amazing. Awesome. Fun for the kids, but BC Ambulance paramedics say there has been a spike in the number of falls. Pedestrians are urged to be extra cautious and to wear appropriate footwear. And homeowners are being reminded to clear the sidewalks around their property. Chris? All right, Catherine, thanks very much. Good advice as always. NBC Ferries was playing catch-up today, trying to make up for more than 100 cancelled sailings along its major routes over the weekend. Global's Brad McLeod has more on the windstorm that stranded thousands of passengers. The whole ferry is shaking. Passengers on this BC ferry were bounced around Sunday. This sailing left Comox at 3.30, but couldn't dock at their destination, Powell River, for hours. We went and hid behind an island until about 8 o'clock. Due to the high winds, the captain uh, did the prudent thing to do and wanted to wait it out, but unfortunately those customers were on board our vessel for a lot longer than they had originally expected. And BC Ferries had a very tough go this weekend. On Friday, they had to cancel 63 sailings. On Saturday, that was at 14. And on Sunday, 86 sailings on 11 routes were cancelled due to high winds. And Monday, instead of people finally getting where they needed to be, a devastating head-on collision near the Swasson Ferry Terminal. A person was uh, airlifted from there to hospital with serious injuries. There was also a large diesel spill, uh, which has hampered both investigative efforts and, of course, cleanup efforts. Traffic was single lane alternating all afternoon, leaving many in their cars for hours, including some BC Ferries employees. And that even caused a cancellation due to staff shortage on board. Many ditched cars and walked the icy jetty on foot, not wanting to miss yet another sailing. I'm missing work today. And the delays were felt on the island as well, like Swartz Bay. It's been over 24 hours now. We're going to get home about 24 hours later than expected. We chose the one weekend where there's winter storms to go away to Salt Creek Island, which maybe wasn't the best, best um, bet. It's been cold for those stuck waiting, but a little perspective from a neighbor to the north. This is t-shirt weather in Alaska. <laughs> Brad McLeod, Global News, Swartz Bay. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now, who has more on that Arctic air and the snowfall. Christy. Extreme cold warnings all across western Canada. Some of the coldest temperatures or conditions in the globe right now in our area, especially in through the north with Arctic outflow along coastal regions. Here's how cold it will get overnight tonight. In areas like Whitehorse, minus 54. Across the north in central parts, minus 45. And in the south, close to minus 25 to minus 30. And the south coast, especially the Fraser Valley, minus 20. So this cold air is expected to last, and that means the snowfall that we saw is sticking around, that's for sure. Here's a look at some of the totals. 25 in through Surrey, Coquitlam 22, Chilliwack 27, and we've got more on the way. When I come back, Chris, I'll show you which parts of the South Coast could see it as early as tonight. More on the way. Great. Okay, thanks, mm. Christy. Great for tobogganers, skiers, and snowboarders. One last note on this. As you might expect, ICBC gets a lot of calls. Since Friday, there have been more than 6,300 damage claims, 4,300 of those from the Lower Mainland. 82 claims came from the Portman Bridge ice bombs. 
47 from falling ice on the Alex Fraser Bridge, and two from the Golden Ears. Now, there is new video tonight from the Gabriel Klein murder trial. Klein is charged with one count of second-degree murder in the death of Letitia Reimer and one count of aggravated assault for stabbing her friend during the 2016 attack at Abbotsford Secondary. As Grace Key reports, the new images include surveillance video of Klein stealing the murder weapon. One video shows Klein inside Cabela's stealing the murder weapon. Another one inside a liquor store stealing a couple of bottles of alcohol, both taken on the day of the stabbings. Now, questions have been raised in court about Klein's ability to form intent. In the video, you see Klein walking into a Cabela store, head to the knife section, speak briefly with an employee, go up and down the aisles, even comparing knives before walking out of the store with the murder weapon. The other video shows Klein going into a liquor store, speak with a worker, head to an aisle and sneak a couple of bottles of alcohol into his backpack before walking out. Klein has been diagnosed with schizophrenia and defense says he wanted to commit suicide by cop. An insanity defense was never raised, but defense argued that the alcohol Klein drank that day, coupled with his mental stresses, should raise reasonable doubt as to whether Klein intended to kill 13-year-old Letitia Reimer. Crown argued the videos show Klein entering the stores and behaving very calmly, saying that some of his actions before and after the stabbings show deliberate conduct and an ability to make decisions. If there is no intent, then it would fall to the lesser charge of manslaughter, where there is no mandatory minimum. Second-degree murder would have a mandatory life sentence. The judge will be coming back with a decision on February 21st. In New Westminster, Grace Key, Global News. Meantime, new information tonight about the mental state of Oscar Arfman at the time that he shot and killed Abbotsford Police Constable John Davidson. Last October, a B.C. Supreme Court judge found Arfman guilty of first-degree murder in the shooting death of Constable Davidson. Today, we learned a psych assessment indicates, based on all of the evidence, Arfman was likely not responsible for his actions at the time because he did not understand what he was doing was wrong. But because Arfman didn't want to be found not criminally responsible due to a mental disorder, and Crown also didn't want to pursue it, it's off the table, and Arfman will be criminally sentenced next month. A dynamic and changing situation near Smithers tonight, where Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs and protesters have set up a blockade in opposition to the Coastal Gasling Pipeline project. Overnight, dozens of RCMP officers arrived in the area, and as Sarah McDonald reports, just a short time ago, a new checkpoint was set up. Dozens of felled trees blocking all access in and out of Ground Zero in an escalating standoff over pipeline politics and indigenous rights. No longer the only blockade doing so. RCMP and opponents of a natural gas pipeline on a polarized parcel of indigenous land. Now the only ones beyond it. Only a handful of others, including this hereditary chief, expected to be allowed through. The access control checkpoint coming hours after the energy giant behind the $6.6 billion pipeline project was granted temporary access to winterize on Sunday in the midst of a work stoppage. 
And now this, a markedly increased RCMP presence in the region, noticeable for days, mobilizing on Monday. When you have an elected band council uh, that has, uh, you know, signed agreements with, uh, with various entities, corporations and governments, uh, that has a certain weight to it. The Prime Minister addressing the complex politics surrounding the standoff on unceded territory, pitting the Canadian legal system against Indigenous law. As one of 14 people arrested at the same site last year appeared in court. Look deep into both sides of it. What we want, what they want. Russell Tiljo, a wet and elder, says the lucrative project has left his nation divided. Its hereditary leaders fiercely opposed to the pipeline, supported by its elected officials and the provincial and federal governments. It has divided us. Those that want the jobs and they want their families to work, they're supporting the pipeline, they're very quiet. Those who don't are anything but, and now in defiance of the Canadian courts, an injunction mandating the removal of all obstructions to construction, now long past, as RCMP said poised and prepared to enforce it at any time. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Keith Baldry joins us now live from Victoria. Keith, the province has resisted intervening here, but today mm -hmm. the premier's stance was pretty clear. Yeah, Premier John Horgan holding his first news conference of the new year, Chris. And the first question off the top was, what's his take on what's going on up there? Uh, his response was pretty clear. He's adamant this project is going ahead. He says the rule of law must apply. And also, one reason he wants it to go ahead, so it has so much support from First Nations along the pipeline route. Here's the Premier. There are agreements from uh, the peace country to Kitimat with Indigenous communities that want to see economic activity and prosperity take place. All of the permits are in place for this project to proceed. It will be proceeding. So one big reason John Horgan wants this project to proceed, because, of course, it's linked to LNG Canada, the biggest private investment in B.C. and Canadian history. He needs that project to go ahead. It's the centerpiece of his entire economic strategy. So don't look for the NDP government to reverse its position on this. The only thing that's going to stop this project, Chris, is something that occurs in the court. We have seen courts rule against projects in the past, but this one has won in court so far, and the NDP is clearly betting it will continue to do so in the future. Right now, though, a former B.C. Hydro construction manager has been warning the company for years about the dire risk he claims fracking poses to dams in northeastern B.C. Concerns expressed clearly in documents obtained through freedom of information requests. But despite his repeated warnings, Paul Johnson explains why B.C. Hydro believes the dams are safe. The Site C dam under construction in northeastern B.C., in November 2018, work here was disrupted by a small earthquake triggered by a natural gas fracking operation nearby. No one was hurt, but the quake highlighted something some BC Hydro employees have been worried about for years. For the time that it was built, there was no such thing as fracking, so that was never taken into account by the engineering people. Dave Unger is a former construction manager for BC Hydro. Years ago, while working on the Peace Canyon Dam, which is an older dam in the same area, he started to worry about what a fracking-induced earthquake could do to that dam. With fracking that causes uplifts and upheavals, it's a, it's a recipe for disaster in my opinion. That idea also occurred to Ben Parfit, a researcher with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. He found years of internal BC Hydro emails that showed other engineers 
also recognized fracking triggers earthquakes, which could threaten the Peace Canyon Dam. We literally are playing with fire here. The core issue here is that three of BC's biggest dams sit right near the area where oil and gas companies have been given the green light to do fracking for years to come. First of all, our dams are safe. So Hydro President Chris O'Reilly believes the dams can withstand earthquakes from fracking, though he acknowledges the concerns raised by his own engineers. So I think everyone in this case did their job and the system worked. There's something happening here. Harford and Unger say based on what they've seen, Victoria should put a fracking exclusion zone around the Peace Canyon dams. My speculation is that the government hasn't done that because it is essentially all in on oil and gas development and is simply unprepared to do the right thing and to create these no-go zones. Paul Johnson, Global News. New calls for better consumer protection in Canada for people buying new vehicles. Andrew joins us now with one woman's horror story and believing she bought a lemon and there's some pretty good evidence that maybe she did. Yeah, and nothing but misery for this customer. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that, Chris. One year after Sarah Timmons bought her new SUV, it's in the repair shop, and the amount of time it's been there will likely surprise you. It's the reason why Sarah and many other consumers we hear from are calling for lemon laws in this country. This is Sarah Timmons' vehicle, a Ford Escape Titanium SUV, a brand new vehicle she purchased in 2018. With only 14,000 kilometers on the vehicle, it's now sitting at a dealership under repair. Really, it's been a lot of stress. Stressful because she's been without her vehicle for 16 weeks. I haven't seen it except for in the lot where it's sitting. When I go there to talk to somebody, I can just see it sitting there. Her car issue started in September of 2019 when she says the vehicle broke down while heading to Calgary to visit family. I had 97 alarms on my Ford app registering for faults and the car, it wouldn't start. Sarah says the Ford dealership got the car back up and running, but days later she says the vehicle went dead again. That was on September 24th. There has been so many modules put in, wiring harnesses, new computer, new battery. And now they're saying that the dash doesn't work at all. So it's actually just not getting any better, but maybe worse even. The dealership has since given her a loaner vehicle, but Sarah says she's had little cooperation from Ford Canada. Oh, we're so sorry about this, Miss Timmons. We're sorry to hear about that. You know, th- you know, thanks for being patient, and that's all I ever got from them. Adding to her frustration, she's been making bi-weekly payments for a car she hasn't driven in months. I'm paying $410 bi-weekly, so some months there's three payments, and I haven't even seen the vehicle, and, and honestly, I don't want anything to do with Ford ever again. I'll never buy another Ford. Sarah wants out of her financial contract with Ford and compensation for the payments she's made while the vehicle sits in the repair shop. She would also like to see lemon laws in Canada, which adds an additional layer of warranty protection. Such laws already exist in the U.S. Unlike in Canada where the customer has to fight all the way in situations like that, the manufacturer knows the rules are different. And after a while, they they realize that a file like this, we we better sit down and work out something with the customer, make them happy. That's what ends up happening. We reached out to Ford Canada to see if they would offer Sarah any type of financial compensation for her experience, but we did not get a response. For now, all Sarah can do is wait and continue to make payments for a vehicle she can't drive. 
Now, Sarah has applied to the Canadian Motor Vehicle Arbitration Plan, which helps consumers resolve complaints. She's now waiting to get a a date with an arbitrator. The nonprofit Automobile Protection Association recommends consumers use the resolution program on occasion, but says a decision offering a 100% refund or replacement on a vehicle is rare. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can always email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, got a feel for her. Thanks very much, Ann. A NewsHour follow-up tonight to our story last week about an Ann Moore couple who found themselves under investigation for helping save a sick and abandoned bear cub. As Linda Aylesworth reports, Conservation BC has backed off and apologized. But the story has still left some serious questions about the officer's actions. Remember this little guy, a young emaciated black bear found shivering under a table last week in an Anmore backyard. Michael and Corrine Robson called the conservation officer service that night for help. They eventually said, if the bear's still there in the morning, call us back and we'll take it across the street and put it in the bush and let nature take its course. Not exactly the response they had hoped for. But the next morning, the Fur Bearers, a wildlife advocacy organization, offered to come by and take the cub to Critter Care. Little fella. When Michael, who went along for the ride, got home, a conservation officer was waiting. And she said, you're now under investigation for tampering with wildlife. And she read me my rights. It just didn't seem right, especially considering Critter Care had determined the bear, just 20 pounds when it should have weighed 80, wouldn't have survived much longer. Any law enforcement officer that makes early accusations with no investigation is setting themselves and the service up for failure. Bryce Cassavant was a conservation officer until 2015, when his refusal to obey orders to kill two orphan cubs got him suspended. In this case, they were completely wrong. It would seem the deputy chief of the B.C. Conservation Officer Service agrees because he called Michael yesterday. He said I would no longer be facing any enforcement action and I asked him to apologize to my wife, which he did. In a press release, this statement, the Conservation Officer Service acknowledges that clear communications and a thoughtful approach to the people who care about wildlife is critical in achieving positive results. While this apology is a great first step, it's going to be through policy, through training and through repeated action that trust really gets back in place. Trust, which is easier lost than gained. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. The power of Mother Nature on full display in the Philippines as bolts of volcanic lightning flash across an ash column during Sunday night's eruption of that volcano. A cloud of ash has come down like gray snowfall on nearby cities and towns, forcing tens of thousands of people to evacuate. Philippine officials are requesting a further evacuation of nearly half a million more for fear of a bigger eruption. The Ta'al volcano is one of the most active in the Philippines. In the U.S., an outbreak of severe weather across Texas, the Midwest, and the South left 11 people dead with more storms on the way. Sam Brock reports. A tornado violently tossing cars around this South Carolina parking lot today and strong winds collapsing the roof of a school gym, injuring three students. The custodians came in and told us that the gym was... Half the gym was gone. 
This after an EF2 tornado left this school in shambles. Tornadoes ripped through 11 states, including Kentucky, where one sent three people airborne in their mobile home. And I realized, I was like, this is the ceiling. We're upside down. And ripped sections of roof right off Louisville's historic Whitehall Mansion. On the ground, the devastation is obvious. Debris and down power lines right here, a roof wrapped around a tree over there. But the bigger issue for today is what's going on here in the streets. Crews right now trying to restore power. Meantime, much of the country is bracing for more storms, including the Midwest, where a massive storm surge has swallowed paths along Lake Michigan. Sam Brock, NBC News. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is linking the shooting down of a Ukrainian airliner by Iran with the escalation of tensions that began with an American-targeted attack. During an interview today with Global National's Donna Friesen, Trudeau said the 176 people on the jet, including 57 Canadians, would still be alive today if it hadn't been for increased tensions that followed the U.S. killing Iran's top general. Do you think that the people who died on that plane are collateral damage in the tensions between Iran and the U.S.? I think if there were no uh, tensions, if there was no uh, escalation recently in the region, uh, those uh, Canadians would be right now home with their families. Canada's Transportation Safety Board has released more information about just how involved Canadian officials will be in the official investigation into the crash. Global's Mike LeCouture has the latest. The head of Canada's Transportation Safety Board says the role of our investigators is limited because Iran's Aircraft Accident Investigation Bureau is taking the lead. However, Kathy Fox says they are working hard every day to build trust with Iranian officials. Now, our officials are cautiously confident that Canadian investigators will gain more access because of our world-renowned expertise in this field. The briefing came on the same day new video emerged of the plane's wreckage in Iran. Ukrainian officials were seen examining pieces of the Boeing 737. The Iranian government admitted was shot down by its military. So while the cause is clear, the circumstances that led to it are what Canadian officials are hoping to help uncover. According to the rules spelled out by the International Civil Aviation Organization, Canada's role should be rather limited. However, Iran's Accident Investigation Board has expanded it. Now that the wreckage has been moved to another uh, venue than the site, we're being given the opportunity to view and examine the wreckage. Uh, secondly, we're being asked to provide technical expertise regarding the download and analysis of the recorders, and we're being invited to attend the download and analysis of, reporters, of recorders, which is not something to which we would normally have access. Fox believes the additional access is a positive sign, and she stressed that Canadian investigators, along with international partners, have the expertise that can get the answers the public wants and that the families of the victims deserve. Mike LeCouture, Global News, Ottawa. In health matters tonight, the B.C. government is going to double training spots for specialty nurses. Health Minister Adrian Dix says the government will fund 1,000 seats per year at BCIT. Specialty nurses work in high-skill areas, ranging from emergency and intensive care units to delivering babies and providing newborn care. A recent report predicted B.C. will need nearly 25,000 new nurses by 2030. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A base jumper hangs precariously from a cliff. How long he was stuck there until he was rescued? Coming up 
right after the forecast. And if you've had enough of this cold winter weather, mm, there's more of it coming. Yeah. Here's the details. That's right. I was going to say, too bad for you. Right. <laughs> if you've had enough. The kids haven't, though. I tell you, it's so much fun for the kids. The snow was light. It was fluffy. This is my guy. Can you see the snow angel? Way to go, Jordan. Yeah, lots of snow angels probably today and lots of fun for the kids. Not so fun out on the roads. All right, so all of the blue here are the extreme cold warning. So it extends all the way through the central interior and up through the north. The red is the Arctic outflow, cold air flowing out towards the coast. So wind chills close to minus 20 there, minus 25 in a few areas. And the yellow is a special weather statement because we have more snow on the way. So let me break it down for you. First, though, from Cold Spring, thanks to Ben Pebble for this. I was just throwing the boiling water in the air and you get that freezing, of course. So here's a look at the south coast points. So cold will continue through Wednesday. We're not going to see a relief until likely Thursday and Friday. And even at that, it will be transition days, those days. Localized snowfall expected tonight for these areas here. And I'll show you more on that in a second. The widespread snow for the south coast will happen tomorrow night. So we still have light flurries in the next 24 hours, but really not much for most areas. It's these areas here that we're concerned about overnight tonight. Localized flurries, potentially up to five centimeters for you. Maybe a few flurries for our region, but it's really this wave that we're worried about. So it's late tomorrow night for Metro Vancouver, a little bit earlier for Vancouver Island regions, and the bulk of that moisture will fall while we're asleep. So we'll wake up to a Wednesday morning, so a tough commute to work on Wednesday. Most of the snow will fall will be across Vancouver Island, though, for our region, 5 to 10 centimeters. Otherwise, across the province, it's cold, but it's sunny. Lots of sunshine for you. Just a few flurries. The bulk of the snowfall really affecting the south coast only for the next several hits. Again, flurries tomorrow, more snowfall tomorrow night, 5 to 10 centimeters possible. But what I wanted to point out is these days, although we have transition days towards warmer weather, my concern is that anything that melts during the day will freeze at night and we could be dealing with pretty icy conditions. All right, quick look at your weather window from Samantha Folk. She sent one in. Actually, she tweeted me. Great shot from North Vancouver. Beautiful. Nice to hear from Samantha too. Good stuff. Thanks, Christy. Well, base jumpers will tell you their sport provides hours of spine-tingling thrills, but for one Austrian jumper, it was more like hours of boredom. 28-year-old Johannes Grasser's jump in Thailand ended with his parachute snagged on a rocky cliff nearly 200 meters above the ground. Locals spotted him and called police, but rescuers had to hike all the way to the top of the cliff and then lower a man down to him. Six hours after he got hung up, Grasser was put on a harness, attached to another rope, and finally lowered to safety. Let's hope the next jump goes better than that. <laughs> Squire's here now with a look ahead to sports. Thank you very much. Let me just get settled here. You know, this weather is ruining my hair. Oh, well. really? Do you know how long I work in this hair? <laughs> At least five I minutes. Don't At least five minutes it. a day. Who knew? Uh, what was that? No, it's okay. I remember back in college, my, my coach telling me, basketball coach telling me, if you win half your games on the road and all your games at home, that's the key to success. How are the Canucks doing? Well, I mean, you know, their road game is not as good as their home game. Mm -hmm. But... It's been better of late. Yeah. I mean, suddenly that five-game road trip they're on right now doesn't seem so bad. It started horribly in Tampa and Miami, but they went to Buffalo and won there. And then Sunday they beat Minnesota, which means they could come home three and two on this road trip if they beat Winnipeg tomorrow. And the Jets have lost six straight at home. And the Canucks are nine and two in their last 11 games. But for some reason, Vancouver struggles in Winnipeg. During this run, it has been noted by many that Bo Horvat 
has been the Canucks' most productive player. He has 14 points in those 11 games. It seems all the bad bounces he was getting early in the year are now becoming good bounces for him, and he's found very good chemistry with Tanner Pearson, who is the second-leading Canucks goal scorer, actually point scorer, I should say, since Christmas. Horvat scoring at this rate really increases Vancouver's playoff chances. And the Canucks are kind of hoping that Matthew Kachuk and his team lose tonight against Montreal. Canadians have been struggling mightily, but I do believe this is an Alebu. Jordan Wheel, and they'd get two of them, and that's all they'd need. Montreal upsets Calgary 2-0. Alex Ovechkin is on pace for 46 goals this season. If he reaches that, he will be eighth overall in all-time goal scoring at the end of the season with 704, if my math is right. And if he got 46 next year, he'd be fourth highest all-time after next season. Tonight, he moved past another legend on the goal-scoring list. Alex Ovechkin and the Capitals were up against the Carolina Hurricanes. And this is the goal that puts him 11th all-time. He's now past Timu Solani, 685. Watch Ovechkin. Goes now. Move to the point. Quick shot. Goal for the 685th time. Edmonton Zach Cassian was given a two-game suspension for going after Matthew Kachuk on Saturday. This was because Kachuk had taken a few runs at Cassian during the game. Kachuk never fought back. I can pretty much guarantee you a lot of NHL players will take Cassian's side on this because Kachuk is not well-liked around the NHL. But he did succeed in getting Calgary a four-minute power play out of this. Well, if only Seattle had a better first half. If they had better defense on Green Bay's third downs, if Malik Turner hadn't dropped what looked like an easy catch late in the game, the Seahawks might be getting ready for San Francisco rather than winter vacation. But they are out of the playoffs in a season where they went a lot further than a lot of people thought, especially considering they had so many running back injuries, they had to do a night at the museum thing and bring Marshawn Lynch back to life. Colonel Optimist, that is Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson, his thoughts in this season are much different. You know, uh, a lot of people think that, you know, we, we, we overachieved. I think we underachieved, in my opinion, um, because I think that the goal should always be winning the Super Bowl. And uh, that's got to be our standard. That's got to be our focus. I think that the reality is, is that we've, we've been very, very good for past, reality, the past eight years or so. And um, we've got to find ways to get better. We've got to find ways to get past... Um, just the first or second round of playoffs and we're going to get to the final push. That's the reality. Local golfer Phil Jonas is well known around BC, but he would like to be known in other parts of the golfing world as well, which is why six years after he was part of the European Seniors Tour, he's trying to get back there for 2020. And his journey to Q School make that starts on the frozen mats of local driving ranges. There's snow on the ground. It's freezing cold. What type of person hits golf balls in this weather? I'm crazy, but uh, nobody's accused me of being anything other than that. How much are you excited, Phil, of taking a second crack at the U- European Senior Tour? Um, I'm, I'm very excited. You know, I, I, last year I played, I played really well, given my advancing age. And so it's just a good opportunity. Uh, you know, if it happens, it happens. But uh, I, I'm excited. Excited because the last time Jonas played the European Tour, he recorded three top ten finishes. That was six years ago, and the pressure to win then 
a lot greater than the pressure to win now. Well, I would say the biggest factor was the family uh, situation because, uh, you know, I, I stopped playing the last time because my, my wife had to uh, drive kids around, but now the kids are at university, so she thought I should give it a shot, and uh, so that's uh, what we're going to do. Phil and his wife, Patty, who's also a golf pro, were both recently inducted into the BC Golf Hall of Fame. Patty will caddy for her husband, who over the years has won numerous PGA of BC and PGA of Canada titles. Both felt the time was right for Phil to take one last swing at winning on the international stage. It was the most fun tour I ever played throughout my career. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, the biggest thing on, on, on that tour is the guys that were great in their past life, it's hard to, to beat them st again because firstly they're financially secure and, uh, and they know they've beaten you. So I think that's, the, that's actually the toughest part is, is overcoming that for a person like me. Jonas heads to Portugal on Sunday for a stage one of Q School. If he finishes inside the top 20 in the 36-hole event, he'll qualify for the final stage, where five full-time tour cards are up for grabs. Jay Janower, Global Sports. That is dedication. Okay, the owner of the Houston Astros fired his general manager, Jeff Lunau, and his manager, A.J. Hinch, today after both were suspended one year by Major League Baseball for their part in the Astros stealing the signals from opposing catchers by using center field cameras. This happened during the 2017 season in playoffs when Houston won the World Series. And the Astros were also fined $5 million and they lose their first and second round draft picks this year and next year. But they do keep, get to keep the championship they won. We want to be known as playing by the rules. Um, we broke the rules. We accept the punishment. Um, neither one of those guys implemented this or, or pushed it through the system. It really came from the bottom up. Um, it's pretty clear in the report um, how that happened. Um, but neither one of them uh, did anything about it. And, and that's unfortunate. And the consequences are severe. There you go. Here's your snow report for this evening. Exceptionally cold right across the province, but at least there's new snow. And thankfully, it's light and fluffy. Whistler Blackcomb, 2 centimeters. Grouse, 19. Cypress, 30. Sasquatch, 15. Manning Park picked up 25. Revelstoke, 4. Fernie, 22. And Caking Horse, 7. Big White has 11 centimeters of new snow. Silver Star, 2. Sun Peak, 6. Apex, 2. Mount Washington, 4 centimeters. And Whitewater's the winner at 47 centimeters of new snow, Red Mountain 17 and Powder King 1. After days of speculation and rumor, Queen Elizabeth herself made it official confirming Prince Harry and Meghan will live in Canada at least part-time. As Richard Zussman reports, the big questions are, will it be here in BC and if so, what will it entail? It's the type of royal summit these royals aren't used to. The Queen, Prince Charles, Prince William and Prince Harry gathering to discuss the future of the royal family. It's going to be very difficult to be half in and half out of the royal family. The Queen giving the go-ahead for Harry and his wife Meghan Markle and son Archie to live part-time in Canada. Markle calling into the meeting from British Columbia, sparking rumours the family plans on moving here full-time. This after the Duke and Duchess of Sussex spent the holidays in this Vancouver Island home. Actually, I took comfort in, in watching the response of my fellow South Vancouver Islanders to the prospect of royals coming to Victoria, the royal city. The consensus is British Columbians are pretty excited about the idea of the royals possibly calling this home, but aren't so excited about the idea of having to pay their own money for it. Absolutely not. Why not? I don't know. I just don't think it's our responsibility. They're British subjects. 
The federal government expecting to be in discussions with Buckingham Palace about the Sussexes moving part-time to Canada, be it in British Columbia or somewhere else. That will include the big question of who foots the bill for security and other costs typically covered by Canada when the royals travel here. Uh, there will be many discussions to come on on how that works uh, that, will, that will go about between officials at different levels. As for the Royals' own money, Premier Horgan has some ideas. I'm sure I could find something for Harry to do. And the film industry is booming in British Columbia, so I'm sure Megan could get on with uh, one of the great, maybe Riverdale, who knows. The Queen saying she hopes there's a resolution soon as to how Harry and Meghan plan to live as financially independent royals, meaning British Columbians won't have to wait much longer to find out if this will become a more permanent home. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. They're going to love it here. I hope come here. They're going to love it. I hope so. And I hope that people leave them alone a little bit. Yeah. I, I think the community around them might be quite protective of them, given Good. the decision they're making to come here. We'll if see. they watch global news on a regular basis, we will leave them alone. If they don't. <laughs> <laughs> We're sending Squire. Thanks very much for watching, everybody. Stay safe on those roads out there still. We'll see you tomorrow.